Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you've been struggling of late to tick something, anything, off your to-do list, we're right there with you in the procrastination zone. It's a mental state we promise ourselves time and again that we won't slip back into. But for many, over the past year and a bit, the ability to get things done efficiently has taken a goal-busting nosedive. Which is why, in this episode, rather than, you know, avoiding the issue and hoping it will go away, we're tackling the problem of procrastination head-on. We're enlisting the help of two guests who've both struggled with procrastination and have used tools and techniques to encourage themselves to be more productive and ultimately create more space for the good stuff. And you can too, because as you'll learn, you're not a procrastinator, you simply procrastinate. And we're here to help you climb out of that habit so you can build more positive ones. Hello, I'm Roisin Devishokane and this is Going For Goal, the weekly women's health podcast. On this show, we chat to our favourite celebrities and wellness heavyweights about what they do to feel and function at their best. And on episodes like this one, we call on top experts to help you make good on the health goals that really matter to you. The first is Dr. Grace Lorden, Associate Professor in Behavioural Science at the London School of Economics and author of Think Big, Take Small Steps and Build the Future You Want. The second is Grace Beverly, founder of apparel brand Tala, workout app Shreddy and, as of April, published author of Working Hard, Hardly Working, How to Achieve More, Stress Less and Feel Fulfilled. We discuss the most common triggers for procrastination and how it can take different forms with different people. There's also some great points made about the counterproductive cult of busyness and why comparing yourself to others in a similar professional space is a disaster for productivity, let alone happiness. There's also chat about the importance of finding your own hype man or woman, why showing up for yourself in small increments is key and how to respect all those other elements of your life that matter to you while still flourishing at work. Enjoy. Dr. Grace Lorden and Grace Beverly, welcome both of you to Going for Goal. Thank you. I'm really pleased to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Very excited. Yeah, it's great to have you on. And we're talking today about procrastination. So I thought for context, maybe we should start with a little bit of truth telling. So hello, my name is Roisin Devshokane and I'm a procrastinator. I procrastinate in the most mundane of ways. I don't really plan holidays or... Uh, pub sessions when everything opens or even go online shopping, I tend to nitpick and perfect a task that doesn't really need my attention to avoid doing work on the other more challenging, more important project. Um, And I often do it when I'm intimidated by that other big, scary project. So now, right, it's your turn. Right, Grace Beverly, let's start with you. So I think my, sorry, I'll start with the, hi, I'm Grace Beverly and I'm a procrastinator. Um, I think <laughs> that um, my, my biggest technique of procrastination is actually admin. I think I, I write about this actually in the book because I think that admin, if you don't actually need to do it, you think it's boring, but it's actually so, it's easy because you don't necessarily need to fully engage. Um, and so I often procrastinate in doing things that I can kind of tick off. And then my to-do list looks like I've been really productive, but actually the things that I was meant to do um, are no closer to being done. And when do you tend to do it? What's the kind of feeling that tends to get you there? I would say it's mostly when I'm tired um, or when I don't have, strangely, I feel like when my day's quite 
not booked up because I think the reason I'm actually usually quite good at not procrastinating now I've got better at setting work boundaries because I won't necessarily be as tired or kind of burnt out or whatever it might be is that I kind of look at my day and I think wow this is an unusually kind of free day and therefore I allow that to kind of drag on so I kind of procrastinate Mm. in the name of chill but it's actually not it would be better off if I just got through those tasks and then maybe I could even have you know some actual time off yeah yeah I think I can relate to that one as well uh, Dr. Grace Lorden, what about you? So I'm uh, Grace Lorden, and I will say I procrastinate rather than giving myself the label of procrastinator because then I see it as a behaviour that sits outside myself. But I, I mean, I use so many different procrastination tools and most of them involve instant gratification. So I go and have dinner with my friends. I lounge out in front of the TV. I spend my time just idly messing around on social media. So I think kind of I'm the most common type of person in, in what I actually look for is to busy myself with things that really give me kind of a happiness um, a happiness hit or I think they're giving me a happiness that they probably aren't some um, some of them um, and I think I do that you know I haven't really kind of gotten to the bottom of it I think I'm somebody who takes on too much so that you can actually feel overwhelmed at times but then and um, we can discuss this more later when I actually look at what I'm spending my time on sometimes I go look back at weeks and I've spent my time doing things that don't add value to me or to anybody else and um, so this kind of idea of busyness um, really drives my procrastination. Yes. And busyness, that's something that you talk about a lot in your book as well, Grace. Um, And it's a bit icky, isn't it? Talking about your bad habits, especially when we're talking about productivity and when when productivity and success are so like lionized in our culture and necessarily so we need to be good at them to get done what we need to get done. Grace L, can you tell me a bit about what procrastination actually is? Yeah, I mean, so I think the simplest thing for listeners is um, procrastination is irrationally putting off tasks that you need to do for a reason that you can't you can't otherwise explain. Um, and you can you, know, you can spend time ruminating over why that is. And, and some people link it to imposter syndrome. Some people link it to fear of failure. Some people link it to narratives that say that I'm not good enough. But I think really, if you know any of your listeners kind of identify with putting things off, putting things off, putting things off that need to be done, then that they are procrastinators. I think when we were talking there, it showed you the real range of reasons that people can um, partake in this behaviour. Um, is there are there any more? Are there other kind of types of feelings that can tip people into that behaviour that we haven't discussed? I mean, I think sometimes a lack of self-belief can be something that actually holds people back. Um, I think the second type of person, which I think are the majority of people probably who kind of engage in procrastination will identify with, is really not linking what they're doing today to kind of some bigger goal in the future. So we can end up getting kind of caught up in lots of what I call busy tasks that aren't really helping us get to kind of our end goal or where we actually want to be. Um, And really kind of taking a step back and figuring that out is really important. And then I think the third type are people, and and, you know, I'm one of those people who just like to be happy and and, and have fun today. Um, And then, you know, often some of the stuff that I have to do, and, you know, Grace B speaks about this in her book, which I'm really glad, um, you know, sometimes the stuff that you need to actually do to get ahead isn't that pleasant. It doesn't mean that it should all be unpleasant, but kind of showing up for these things becomes very hard for someone like me who likes to be happy in the moment. Um, And really figuring out how to balance costs and benefits in favour of getting you to show up for whatever it is you need to do then becomes really important. I I think kind of in that as well, I... I feel like when I procrastinate the most or I actually I feel like I'm probably more recovered on my procrastinating side. I feel like I'm a lot better at it now and at not doing it rather than better at procrastinating. Um, and I think that is because of the boundaries that I've put in place. And I think that in part when I became when I kind of got into a cycle of procrastinating, whether that was kind of consistently for a week or whatever it might be, I was still doing work and I was still, you know, as you say, I was busy and in some ways it was kind of effective and I was moving towards certain directions but also I think part of it was just feeling almost kind of a a micro burnout like it's not this Mm long-term burnout but it's kind of just constant busyness very much leads to this you know you're just ticking things off for no reason so I think actually um Grace L I think that in in a way like I I think your procrastination actually it does also have the benefit of, you know, that enjoyment. I think I often procrastinate with things that I don't even enjoy in that way. I think I'm very much a kind of 
I'll procrastinate with something else I dislike that's just slightly less effort rather than <laughs> rather than being like, oh, I'll go and do something fun or I'll go on a walk or I'll go and see my friends. Mine's like, I'll procrastinate with making this Excel spreadsheet for something that doesn't need an Excel spreadsheet. Um, and so I think there's perhaps rewards on your side as well that, that I haven't necessarily tapped into. And I feel like when I am procrastinating, I could perhaps procrastinate in a more enjoyable way if I were to go down that route. Absolutely. In behavioural science, one of the big advice for procrastinators is that you should couple the stuff that you don't like doing that you know you have to do. And I think we need to kind of get into a little bit about that because um, uh, Grace B talks about it as well in her book, the idea that sometimes we're actually doing things that don't need to be done in the first place. But once you've identified the things that actually need to be done, coupling them with things that are enjoyable is a real way to kind of get that instant gratification. So it's on your mind. You know, I'm going to reward myself with whatever it is at the end. So whether it's a dinner with friends, whether it's a massage, whether it's lounging out on Netflix, whatever the person is into. Um, that coupling of benefit today to offset the fact that you're not going to see the benefit from, I mean, the Excel spreadsheet does sound quite boring, so maybe we can think about something a bit more exciting. But you're not going to see the benefit from kind of honing a skill or honing your craft maybe for two, three, four years, I yeah. think is, is, is really important for listeners. And, and you know, one of the things um, that I worry a lot about is how we tell people today about the type of jobs that, that are actually good for them without really getting them to kind of think about what they'd actually be doing on a day-to-day mm-hmm. basis. And the second thing that I actually worry about is that people choose jobs based on titles and based on lifestyles rather than these kind of tasks or activities that they're going to be doing on, on, on a day-to-day basis. And if you take the task activity approach, when you're feeling like procrastinating, you can just sit back and try to connect. What am I doing now that's going to serve me in a week, in a, in a month, in a year? Like, what, what is the point of this Excel spreadsheet? And if the answer is, look, it's pointless, then maybe you shouldn't, mm-hmm. maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't be doing it. But that connection gets me over my hump sometimes. Like, what, what is, what is the point of me showing up for this boring, um, boring task today? And you know, I'm an mm-hmm. academic, so I have about thirty percent boring tasks, and it is important that I show up for them. So it does actually allow me to keep my job. <laughs> And Grace, uh, I want to get into your whole philosophy a little bit later on, because you are a big advocate of the medium and the long term goal, which I think chimes really nicely with this scenario. As you're kind of saying, it's important to think about what you're what all that busyness is for um, in order for you to not reach that stage of burnout. Grace B, I want to bring it back onto your story now, because as you shared in your new book, uh, working hard or hardly working, um, your experience is almost a bit of a cautionary tale as far as lots of these topics are concerned. Can you tell us uh, the moment that you realised in order to peel yourself back from, as you say, this brink, the brink of a, a kind of temporary burnout? What was the moment that you realised you needed to change the way you worked? I think I think there were a lot of moments before that kind of trigger kind of clamped down and said, okay, this isn't working at all. Um, and through. I think what what surprised me most was that it was also, it's also been so early on in my career. And I think the rather that when I really started to look at that, I kind of thought, okay, this is probably less about how I'm working. Although there's part of that in there, it's more about the work culture and how we see work now that's kind of fed into what we're expecting the second we join the workforce, what we're expecting, you know, hard work to look like, what we're expecting rest to look like, self-care to look like. And so, you know, I'd come out of university, a year out of university, and I'd started my first business four years before. So it had kind of, you know, there's been a a lot of work and it was very much still at the beginning of my career. But I think part of that was, you know, as I say, it was because I had no boundaries between work and home, not just in the way that I was working from home, not just in, you know, any other types of boundaries in terms of checking my emails or whatever, but because work culture now doesn't have these boundaries, there's no kind of separation. It's this kind of interconnectivity and this expected interconnectivity. I kind of say in the book that it adds up to the fact that, you know, any time we're not working, A, the opportunity cost is really high because there are so many opportunities to be working. You can be selling things on Depop, you can be starting your own Etsy business, you can be building Ikea furniture at someone else's house for money. And all of these kind of opportunities lead to the opportunity cost of not working going sky high suddenly. Um, and also just any time you're not working, whether it's after work, when an email comes in, it kind of feels like the equivalent of being in the office and taking a nap. And so I think I had internalized this so much that I just got to a point where 
I realized I was working all the time. I wasn't seeing my friends. This so-called work-life balance was nowhere to be found. And yet I thought I was kind of good at it. And I thought, and I was kind of just thinking, am I really lazy? Am I really entitled? Am I kind of not good at hard work? And that just didn't make sense to me. And so I kind of, I just started to put boundaries in place. And I started to say, okay, this isn't working. Let me first put weekends in. Let me say that when I go home, I you know, leave my work phone at work or, you know, obviously not everyone has a work phone or whatever it might be, but just putting these concrete boundaries in place. And the second I started to see those work a little bit, I realized it kind of two and two came together. And I just thought, okay, this is what it is. It's a misunderstanding and internalization of kind of constant work and like workaholism and that glamorization of being a workaholic that I was like, okay, this needs to stop. This needs to be reframed. I need to work out what works for me and put that into action. Absolutely. And it's such a timely tale coming out now because I think if people have struggled with work-life balance before, and they definitely have, it's been accelerated to the most extreme degree now that so many people have been working from home. And as you say, there's natural force boundaries, office, home, commute, they've all gone. And then suddenly you have to be in control as an employee, probably in the same, well, we've probably experienced as kind of staff members and employees, sort of some degree of what you probably have with running your own business you know when you do have to be in control and you have to set those boundaries and stuff and it's I've kind of felt that with people being from home um yeah you there's suddenly this uh degree of responsibility that maybe you didn't have before um that's super interesting how would you describe so if you are you're talking before how you felt under pressure from this uh this workaholism culture where would you say that your response is at now, if you could sum it up in a few sentences? Well, I think probably the biggest problem for me about this workaholic kind of culture and this glamorization of working all the time and this hustle culture, um, the the worst part for that for me was the fact that I always have been probably what you could class in a way as a workaholic. And that was being rewarded mm. then by these mechanisms, by this culture. And so that was not only glamorized, but it was one of my bad traits. And then that was kind of glorified in a way that was kind of, yeah, this is a good thing. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. I was being rewarded for what I was doing that was wrong um, or not wrong, but not effective. Um, mm-hmm. And so that, you know, that really fed into something that just wasn't, <laughs> wasn't right. And I think that now that I've stepped away from that, I realized that I'm able to work alongside things that you know, I think that working hard is really important. Diligence is really important. Things like creating your own motivation, habits, all of these things are really important. And I can now benefit from them whilst also not having internalized that just because you're a hard worker, that doesn't mean, you know, you need to be working all the time. So I'm kind of, that's where I am. I'm, I'm still a bit on that side, but I'm also fine with being there because it's not that I need to perpetuate that further and further in order to legitimize what I'm doing. And there's not that sense of shame, perhaps, fueling you. It really struck me when you were talking there about the that you said you worried that maybe you were entitled and not diligent. And those are such, that's such a shameful feeling, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think that a lot of people are looking around now and they're seeing everyone posting at 4am in the office and or not in the office anymore, but working and saying, you know, well while you're sleeping I'm working or whatever it might be and this kind of real like you're either like this you're either good at productivity or you're good at self-care and Mm. I I knew I was I knew I was productive I knew I was you know most of the time or I was I was busy at least I was a hard worker I didn't mind putting in graft and this kind of like grit and the grind and so I was kind of thinking I was like this is so confusing because I've always been a hard worker and I've always been someone who's probably worked too hard as a kind of coping mechanism for stress or for whatever else might be going on. And so that didn't add up to me. So I think that must be happening for more and more people. And then if that's happening at that level where I know that's probably one of my, you know, traits anyway, then for people who don't feel like that's something that is, that works with their lives, it's not what they want. They don't want to be, you know, I I want... I I get a lot of um, kind of joy from that in my life as well. So I think there are various different things that it can kind of be even worse for other people too then. Did you feel also a sense of responsibility as someone who is working in the wellness space to kind of marry those two things together? 
I don't think I necessarily felt the responsibility because I I wouldn't class kind of, you know, there's very much well-being aspects in both of my businesses and in what yeah. I kind of do. But I wouldn't say that it was, I would, yeah, I wouldn't ne- necessarily say that it was kind of squarely within that space. But I'd say that at the same time as having this glorification of the kind of hustle there's the other side where everyone seems to be an absolute self-care whiz so everyone seems to be really good at you know sitting sitting back and relaxing and doing a face mask and going to see their friends and having a healthy work-life balance and it those things are not often put together. And then when I'd read business books, it would kind of be like, this is how you work hard. This is how you put all of this into action. This is how you can be the most productive person in the universe. And then the other ones I'd read were very self-development, very how to enjoy your work, very all of this. And there was a lack of kind of synergy between the two or a lack of treatment of the two together as the same thing. Because obviously Mm. if you respect your rest and you respect your need for rest, then you can also respect your work. Absolutely. Grace L, I actually wanted to I wanted to bring you in on that point. What evidence is there or why is kind of getting your procrastination and getting your healthy work habits under control? Why is that so important for our kind of whole health? Well, I mean, I think the first thing is, you know, when I, when I heard Grace be talking about kind of her first career, if you like, it really made me sad because, you know, there isn't any evidence that people who work the crazy hours that she's describing is actually good for firms. So it's a no brainer for listeners that it's it's not good for individuals. But then you wonder, do firms actually force their workers to be in that way because it's good for them? And it isn't. So kind of I think, you know, this break that we've had because of COVID-19 should be and I say should be because I'm worried that it won't end up being so a break at the fact that we need to be on this treadmill working, you know, working these um, absolutely crazy, um, crazy hours. Um, and I think, you know, some of the jobs that you might actually imagine people doing in society, the fact that they're working very, very long hours has nothing to do with the job, but more about the social norm or the culture that grew around that job unnecessarily. And I think, you know, kind of what kind of Grace B raises in her book and what I try to do kind of in, in Think Big is to get people to really kind of come back from that um, and think about if I'm going to be a success at something, it doesn't need to be at the sacrifice of my self-care. It doesn't need to be at the sacrifice of my well-being. And actually, I think a more fundamental point is people who have high levels of well-being are actually more productive. So you have this circular relationship. So sitting them apart from each other, you know, Grace B is right, you know, seeing them apart from each other doesn't make any sense. Um, and I think, you know, we have kind of this younger generation at the moment who are kind of struggling in the labour force, to be honest with you, because, you know, growth has been poor in the UK and the US and in, ma- in many other developed countries. Um, and the response has been in some companies just to get them to work harder or say that they're not working hard enough. And that mm. actually isn't the problem. And I really think if we actually take a step back, take time out and allow ourselves time to be creative, um, and I don't know about the two of you, but I'm my most creative, actually, when I am having a time out, I have my best ideas. And the times when I my nose is to the grindstone is executing and the process. And if yeah. I was honest with myself, I could probably outsource some of the, some of that process. Um, so I think kind of for listeners really thinking about it shouldn't be all or nothing. Um, and on so many issues in society, we, we kind of rush to something is right and something is wrong. It shouldn't be all or nothing. And there's days when you're going to do some some a lot and there's days when you're going to do less and c- coming figuring out what's right for you. I think it's really, really important at this moment of time. And my philosophy is really that there is no one self-help book that will work for, for everyone. Right. We're all very, very different and we should embrace our individual differences. But how you learn about yourself is experimenting with techniques that other people might suggest, figuring out actually, yeah, that's a technique that worked for me or that one didn't. And now why didn't that work for me? Why doesn't that fit my personality? What is it about me that it didn't work for me, but it worked for the other person? And I think that level of self-awareness will not just allow you push back when people are trying to encroach on your time unnecessarily, which is so Mm. important. But I think that level of self-awareness will also allow you figure out what works for you to allow you create a career path. Um, And there is no one, there is no one goal in life. You know, we're going to, we're going to have to constantly kind of think about these different goals, not just because of individuals, we tend to get bored. So it's better for us, but also the job market is changing. So opportunities are changing and really embracing that kind of learning about yourself and learning about the value that you can add to the world and how you can regenerate that as time moves on, I think is really what's going to make people future ready. I find that particularly interesting because I don't know I'm very very excited to read it now I think because also in terms of the process of writing the book one of the most difficult things is thinking 
who will this resonate with? Is this just a very small, you know, you can't, you can never write for everyone, but thinking kind of, is this a very small section of society? Is this, you know, just the entrepreneurs? Is this just the people who are kind of tr- classic type A personalities? Is this, and and that was for me something that I kind of kept coming back to time and time again, kind of thinking, you know, I need to make this resonate with more people within my generation because that was the aim. And I think that's so interesting as well because it's a level of self-awareness and it's a level of understanding that actually you can't just apply every single business or self-help book to yourself because you're not going to have, A, you're not going to be better at being yourself. You're going to be better at being someone else for probably a week and then it's not going (laughs) to stick. But then there are so many different elements to that that actually this kind of context collapse that you get by social media and you get by everything being thinned out to apply to everyone is exactly why we see something on social media and we go like, oh, that's that's a stupid technique or that wouldn't work for me. And then we instantly kind of disregard that, whereas that's the importance. And I think the pro- one of the problems with social media is this kind of homogenization or this kind of context collapse of like, this is only for, you know, this has to be for everyone. And therefore I have to take out all edges because it needs to fit all of these different people. But I think that is one of the things we can encourage the most is the critical thinking and the self-awareness. I don't mean we as in, <laughs> we're encouraging this, but as a, as a kind of society, we very much need to constantly encourage this within ourselves too to be more self-aware, to consume things better. Otherwise, we're just going to continue to be bombarded with things that don't work for us and will never work for us, rather than picking and choosing what does. As individuals, that when we're taking advice, that we try to open our minds to getting advice from people who aren't like us. So, you know, at the LSE, I've set up this thing called the Inclusion Initiative. And the whole idea is actually, you'll make more money, you'll be more productive, you'll be happier if you actually open your mind to ideas from people who are very, very different from yourself and avoid confirmation bias. Um, and that's why I think, you know, if we, if you, if you approach kind of choosing, how are you going to make yourself procrastinate less? How are you going to make yourself more productive? By looking at insights that people have given, hopefully they've given lists rather than one particular um, solution, because I'm always, there, there, there is no silver bullet. I'm practicing that. Um, and then, and, and that's where I think the utopia is. We've, 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 we've moved so far trying to kind of we always have two solutions one on one side and one on the other and I think the the fact is that as individuals we're just very different and I think what comes across so strongly in both of your books is that it's so person-centered and I think both books feel both approaches feel very empowering in the sense that it kind of puts you back in control and you choose those solutions that work for you and Grace L you talk about your you take it back to your goal Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. So I want to move now on to tips and strategies. Let's get a whole list. Let's get a whole list going. Um, <laughs> Grace L, your book, Think Big, really hammers home the importance of having these medium and long-term goals that excite you. 
Is there anything in the idea that winning the war against procrastination starts when you're thinking about your goals? Or is there another place that we should start thinking about it? Well, I think the first thing you can do is to really rebalance those costs and benefits. So really think about if I'm doing something today, if I'm on a steep learning curve, if I'm trying to learn something that I know is going to give me a skill that will serve me in the future, it might be quite boring. It might be quite laborious now. How do I get myself to show up for myself? How can I actually make sure that I'm doing this on a day-to-day basis? And I think doing these things in small steps, small chunks. So you're not, it's not all or nothing. You're not honing a skill that's really, really hard. And it's the only thing that you're doing in a week. You are embracing that balance. Um, And I think self-belief is part of this as well. And, you know, I kind of say and think big. If you don't yet believe in yourself that you can get to where you want to go or you can be something, find somebody who does believe in you because self-belief is transferable. So having somebody, a friend, a family member, your partner say to you, you know, you're going to knock this out of the park. Just keep doing it. Just keep on the road. Keep showing up for yourself in these small increments. Um, And again, the small increments are so important because it doesn't mean that your entire life is devoted to something that you're finding hard in the moment. And if you keep doing that, you eventually become that person and you eventually then will have the self-belief that will allow you kind of continue moving forward and putting yourself out there. I love that. So kind of find your own hype man. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And if they're not in your network, you know, you need to kind of reconsider who's in your network. So I'm not talking, you know, don't dump your friends and family, but we definitely need people around us who are saying to us on a day to day basis. If if you're somebody who's ambitious and you haven't figured out your path yet, having people around you firstly to give you advice and to open doors a little bit for you is really important. But also people to actually say, you know, you can do this. It is. It didn't happen today. Today wasn't a good day. It's fine. You know, tomorrow, tomorrow is a new day. And having that message, um, it's been shown in studies to work. It's even been shown in studies to show that if you have people who have poor self-belief, if I write them a letter from a fictitious person who never existed and said, I was in your shoes once and actually I got through it and now I'm better from it, you know, three years later, kind of carry on, that that actually also helps motivate people, even though that person never existed in the moment. So that, wow. that people can identify with what you're going through. I really like the idea of kind of finding your hype man and also I talk a bit about kind of finding your champions. And I think that the reason I talk about that is so that people can kind of bring creativity and uniqueness into their work. And I think that kind of what you're saying, it ties in so well. And that puts it so, it puts it so well, I think, particularly because instead of finding hype men or whatever it would be now, (laughs) we find not necessarily competitors, but we find comparison. We find all of these different things constantly. And do you think that's kind of had a huge effect on things like self-confidence and leading to goals, because there's constantly, rather than seeing only the people who have made it and then also people at your level, you're also constantly seeing people to an unprecedented degree that have made it on social media. That is what what is rewarded on social media. So people, you know, as people would say, like myself in terms of like my business or, you know, that's amplified more than someone who hasn't, who's set up three businesses really fantastically and then they didn't work for X, Y, Z reason. Do you think that that's kind of then really affected the way that people work for their goals because we're shown success so much more than we're shown failure now? I mean, it makes you less resilient. So I I wrote in the book uh, about an experience that I had in 2011 when I joined the LSC. And I had this person who I thought was a mentor. And, and, you know, we were were, were kind of great (laughs) friends. And he actually, I I, I was meant to be going for promotion two years later. So as you do in in a standard career track, you go and you have these meetings. And he said, look, I don't even think you're going to get there in five years. And even then, it's kind of touch and go. Um, And what I don't write in the book, actually, um, which also happened, is that he pointed to someone else and said, you should be like him. That's the guy who you should be like. And I can honestly tell you that two things happened. I really trusted him and I became kind of obsessed with this relative comparison with this one person who I was kind of saying, oh my God, he is better than me. And I couldn't see any of the ways where I was better than him. And it was all the spotlight was on him. And what happened to me is kind of known as kind of the downward Pygmalion effect in the sense that if people don't expect much from you, you live down to it. But I had, honestly, Grace, I had kind of maybe six months where I wasn't productive. I was procrastinating. I was in enjoying my instant gratification at times. And there was one evening where I basically said to myself, I don't think he's right. 
And I went and got three different opinions from three other people who had nothing at all to do to him, who told me that he didn't happen to be right. Um, And then once kind of two years went by, three years went by, I started studying what's known as the keeping up with the Joneses effect. And I think Mm -hmm. that's exactly what you're asking for. Mm. Um, And it tells us quite clearly that relative comparisons like I did in 2011 are absolutely the worst thing that you can do, not just for your productivity, your happiness and also your resilience. Um, You make yourself miserable. So if I'm always looking at you or I'm looking at Roisin and I'm thinking, actually, they're doing so much better than me I don't have a hope then I'm not going to move forward and what will make me move forward is the, this kind of idea of absolute progress and really reflecting backwards what did I do for myself this week how did I show up for myself how did I move the dial and embracing opportunities and embracing new network op- um, networking so in some ways I'm embarrassed to kind of admit this on a podcast but I'm hoping there's learning for people who are listening that yeah. you know it happened to me and mm. I can tell you that if, if, you, if you get caught up with relative comparisons you'll not only make yourself miserable but you're less likely to achieve your goals and so that must have just been amplified to an extraordinary extent now because it's not just the person who works next to you who gets the promotion instead of you it's everyone on everyone. social media yeah. who especially because there's this lack of context and this lack of, you know, what actually happened or the behind the scenes, or it's very selective. There's Mm. even more so than that. It's not just that person next to you. It's not just your friend from school who also looks like they're in the same career path doing whatever. It's just, it's only seeing very selective areas and only seeing the, like the success Mm. is rewarded. And where there's failure, it's only kind of, I find failure on social media is only rewarded hugely after the fact like hugely kind of when it's seen as then something that's vulnerable and that can be kind of I I mean to talk about I think it's a bit skeptical in a way but you know it can also be commoditized and people can say look vulnerable now and then they get rewarded for that too but they wouldn't be like that in the moment and so there's kind of this double layered multiplier effect that just makes this seemingly just worse and worse and, and most of us are in the distribution so we're not we're not the most vulnerable we're not having the worst time in the world and we're not the most successful most of us are in the distribution so not being able to kind of say I had a crummy day mm. not being able to see that on social media in some ways is pro- you know my day was so so how, how many how many likes would you get for that on you know on on on, on Twitter <laughs> or, on, or on Instagram not many but for the majority of people you know having a kind of a day that's really normal is probably the type of day that we that we need for firstly our productivity and also our well-being yeah, yeah. more mundanity more mundanity yeah, Embra- there- embrace the boring. Embrace the boring. Is there is there a learning in there when we're talking? I hate the expression learning. Don't know why I just said that. Is there a lesson? <laughs> yeah, you just say something. You're like, is it because I'm in front of a microphone and just sound like Alan Partridge? <laughs> <laughs> is there a learning? Or like David Brent? Bloody hell. <laughs> anyway, is there is there a lesson in there that we were talking about? Um, in the sense that. When if you do know that social media is going to tip you into this comparison, that maybe if that is one of the ways that you procrastinate, that you need to kind of axe that from your procrastination tool list and put it back in its box of, I don't know, things that you do to relax or things that you do when you can waste time. I, I, I liked I liked the, the second part. So the idea that it's not all or nothing. So you, you restrict it. And and I think, again, it's kind of almost like a, a journey of self-awareness. How does it affect you? So how does it affect you when you're on social media? So, you know, there's, there's some studies that actually talk about the kind of the reaction of the brain when we're on social media and this kind of these instant gratification hits that are followed with these kind of low moods. And yeah. I think there's one study that even compares it to cocaine, right? So you need to be reflective of, is that you? Do you identify with being on social media and perhaps being kind of entertained mildly and then being miserable later? And then maybe you do have to cut it out for a while. Um, And and maybe it's enough to go cold turkey and then come back in. Well, well, I think that what I find particularly interesting about that is because, as you say, it's not all or nothing. And I think Mm. when I was when I was kind of, I definitely don't have the kind of behavioral science background of it at all. But I think in terms of my, when I was kind of thinking of my own experience with social media, I I had to write myself a questionnaire. I literally had to write myself like, how does this make you feel? How does this make you feel when it goes like this? When you post something, does it affect you negatively if it's received X, Y, and Z? But I, I think that's particularly interesting in the way that actually, as you kind of said earlier on, the self-awareness with that, where we're actually able to take a step back and analyse, you know, you don't need to know why. You don't need to know why it makes you feel bad. You can also, like, there are some people I follow who motivate me hugely when I'm in the right mood and make me feel like, 
just absolutely awful when I'm not there. And therefore, it can't just, we can't look at it in this kind of two-dimensional way and say, you can't do this, you can't follow this person, you can't read these articles, mm. because we're not two-dimensional. We're not only ever on this one mood level. Fluid. And being able to kind of use that in the right way and have the self-awareness of when it is good and when it is bad, I think for me has been the most important thing and has been the way where, you know, rather than all of these articles that say like, oh, well, we should all just quit social media and do this, that and the other. That's not helping within the landscape. That's not saying, okay, well, the reality is we're using it this much. So how can we use it better? And how can we, you know, I I do very much support probably getting our screen time down or mine especially. But, But within that, actually, it's not so much about that. It's about the techniques. It's about the way we use it, the way we consume it and how we and how that affects us that we can kind of operate alongside if we have an awareness about it rather than just being like, no, don't do this. No, don't do this. And I think that's where I found a lot of the kind of literature on it sort of misses out talking to especially younger generations because mm. it just it's instructional rather than kind of working alongside the the existing facts. Exactly. And you've got to be led from your mood, where you're at and where you're coming to it from. So what do you do, Grace L? How, how, what are tips or what strategies have kind of helped you wrestle back a bit of control with your procrastinating instincts? So one that I do that's actually kind of quirky um, is this idea of um, the compromise effect. So I really do believe that there isn't all or nothing. And I think very often when we look at people, if you give them that alternative, they'll end up in the default and actually do nothing. So the compromise effect kind of tells us that if we're planning for a day's work and it's really important to us, that we shouldn't necessarily be looking to see this is on my to-do list and I'm going to do it. But you could break it into kind of a low output level, a medium output level and a high output level. And the compromise effect actually tells you kind of two things. So firstly, it's beneficial because a lot of people will end up doing the medium productivity level because they'll underestimate how how hard it is actually to do the task. Mm. But the second is this kind of just getting started idea. If you're somebody who really feels, oh, I'm exhausted today, I can't come to the table. If you get into the low productivity mode, you're much more likely to hit your flow and, and work and end up being immersed in it and end up enjoying it rather than it being something that's difficult. So anytime I have something big, I'll have this kind of low medium high and my personality is that I'll usually end up at the medium level kind of finishing finishing the day um, and I think that's because I'm a bad planner I underestimate what I can do at my time and I've come come to live with that about myself um, but I think that just showing up for yourself is really important for narratives because one of the things that actually gets us procrastinating mm. more is the idea that the ideas that we hold about ourselves in our head so the biggest influence for you are these com- conversations that you end up having and kind of the words that you listen to about yourself and if we don't show up on a particular day, the narrative that people end up telling themselves is, oh, I don't show up for myself. I'm a quitter. I'm not somebody who finishes things. I'm a low productivity person. And just getting Mm. that medium level output, you know, can be enough to kind of push you to the level where you actually take off and really understand yourself and and the way that you're planning. Yeah. So maybe we shouldn't say I'm a procrastinator taking us right back to the start. Right back to the start. I like to say I procrastinate and I kind of see that, you know, it's to do with these behaviours that are outside myself that aren't necessarily part of myself. So, you know, if I met somebody who was 18 who wanted to be a surgeon, they would say, I'm going to be a surgeon. And I would say, you know, get the skills that will allow you to say that you're, you know, that you're a surgeon one day. It's exactly the same thing. Engage in the behaviours that will allow you to say, I'm not a procrastinator. And it's those behaviours are really what's important. And we've touched on a few of them, you know, the compromise effect is one making sure that you bundle things that are that you find hard to do with things that you find a bit easier to do as a second one finding somebody who gives you self-belief to stop that narrative about self-belief is another one not driving your choices by I want to be something or I want to you know buy something but driving your choices for work on these are the activities that I want to do day to day kind of really focusing on that will allow you when you're having a bad day quite frankly sit back and say I'm doing this activity it has meaning to me and this is why it has meaning to me um, and really kind of taking a step back from how we approach work I guess essentially um, to set yourself up for success. Yeah. Got it. And Grace B, what about you? What are some of your strategies? And and also what I'd be interested to know is how have these or what strategies that you do that allow you to limit your procrastination, but also enhance those or, or leave more time for rest? 
So I think that's one of the really important questions. As I kind of said earlier on, a lot of my procrastination isn't even fun. It's not like I'm doing something (laughs) that then makes me happy. It's just that I'm doing something because I don't want to do the slightly worse version of that or it doesn't require much brain power. And I think that I... Being, being in work now, and especially so from my side, being a business owner or self-employed or whatever it might be, there's always an endless amount of work. And I think that's true for a, the majority of people's jobs. And I think it's particularly tr- true when you always then either have your taxes to deal with or whatever it might be that's not actually the same as the work work. And so from that, I think I really developed a realisation that if I'm going to have time off, which I need to have, it needs to be from like productivity is not just about being more productive so that I can then be more productive later too. Sometimes it's about being more productive in that time so that I can then have time off. And I think the most important part of that was really understanding how much time off I need, where my boundaries need to be within work and implementing them. And then by having those strict boundaries, for example, by knowing that I am taking my weekend I have to get some things, you know, I have to get things done by X, Y, Z time. I have to do this. I have to do that. And the same way as if I, you know, want to, if I decided, for example, in the summer, I wanted to finish at four on Fridays or whatever. I don't see it happening, but it's a lovely idea. Um, Then if I decided I wanted to do that, the benefit of getting that done, the kind of delayed gratification of that is so much more enjoyable. And Obviously, it's not something that, you know, we're, we're very much more and more wired to this in- instant gratification now. But actually being able to just set yourself examples, like sometimes just force yourself to work a certain way for a week. And then if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But I think really learning in the same way as when you're getting trying to get into fitness or whether when you're trying to always go for a daily walk or whatever it might be, just saying, okay, well, I'll do it for this week. If it doesn't work this week, then fine. And actually just proving to yourself that you can do it sometimes. And so for me, it was all about just setting those in place, trying it, adapting and moving on or continuing to do that. And of course, there'll be times where you kind of fail or you don't manage to do that or you actually are just really procrastinating. But I find now, as I said, kind of the times where I'm procrastinating now are times where I haven't respected my rest or times where it's just been too busy times where it hasn't been productive not in a kind of oh you're really bad at being productive you're not a hard worker way but in a there is no way to be this productive after you've got two hours sleep or whatever it might be and so Mm. really adapting that to realizing that actually the benefits in the long term of working less was so much better enabled me to step back and kind of say okay well in the short term I need to do the worst task first or I need to time block or I need to Mm kind of uh, what I do is I split my time, my um, to-do list up into three sections, into quick ticks, which take under 10 minutes, into tasks, which take under half an hour or under 45 minutes, and into projects, which take a lot longer than that. And then I can slot those into different things. And it doesn't necessarily leave space space for procrastination. And that Mm. taught me really quickly what works, what doesn't work. And then I was able to kind of go from there. So sometimes I find it's often about almost babying yourself to try something and then either it doesn't work and you move on it was one of those self-help that isn't helpful type things or it's something that you do find really works and as as grace as well said the importance of habits in that cannot be underestimated because you're never going to wake up at 5 a.m or whatever time you wake up I don't wake up at 5 a.m I think the kind of entrepreneur always do that is (laughs) not true at all or or realistic but but I think if you do for example you're not going to leap out of bed motivated at that time the majority of the time you're not going to be motivated when you want to get something done that you hate and so just getting those habits and what I also refer to in the book as rituals kind of in place is the most important thing for you to then have kind of governing factors in your routine for when things that come in that you couldn't anticipate or you have to adapt. Um, And so for me, that's just kind of forced that procrastination out of me. And now I know if I'm procrastinating, I probably actually need a rest. And it's probably, you know, I've worked on it for that long that I feel like it's usually, okay, you need to step back. One thing that Grace mentioned, though, which is really important, is this role of anticipation. So you've you've mentioned it with respect to things that you do in the future. Um, and, you know, if we plan a holiday, there's kind of three moments where we get happiness out of that holiday, anticipating it, going on the holiday and the memories of the holiday. And there's some studies that show us that the actual anticipation of the holiday is worth more than the holiday itself sometimes as a motivator. But I think the flip side, which we haven't so- spoken so much about, is one reason that people might procrastinate is fear of failure. And, and to realise that when we think 
think about failure, the anticipation of failure is a life experience in itself that you're putting yourself through. So you feel the negative emotions, you feel the mental health decreases, you feel the well-being decreases. But one thing that your that listeners can think about is that when we anticipate failure, we always anticipate it being way worse than it actually will be. As humans, we underestimate our ability to bounce back and really having faith in your ability to bounce back because sometimes we procrastinate to not put ourselves out there. And that's absolutely the worst thing with respect to moving forward. So if you have a dream and you know that to do something, you know, you, maybe you need to public speak, maybe you need to, you know, write an article, maybe there's something that you need to do that you've never done before and you have this comfort blanket the anticipation is apps of that of failure and it not working out is much worse. And one that I think that I talk about in the book, which I think is really will, will help people who do fear failure is the spotlight effect. Um, so as humans, we're really imagine that people are looking at us all the time. So if I mess up or if I fluff up, people are looking at me and they'll basically kind of be saying, oh, Grace is an idiot. Things didn't work out for Grace. Look at her. She's not very good. But there's a lot of research by a guy called Thomas Gilovich that shows us that actually while we're thinking that, everyone else is thinking about themselves. They're worried about themselves and they're worried about their own failure so when you do fail there's kind of two types of people who are the majority the ones who don't notice you and then the minority who actually care about you so for procrastination if you are somebody with a fear of failure really kind of leverage the idea that putting yourself forward is never going to be as bad as you think it would be and secondly even if you do fail no one's gonna no one's gonna remember (laughs) I love that no one really cares no one will ever care as much as you I get in a lot of trouble talking about this in companies because people say folk are going to start doing really bad things now, you know, if they think no one's actually looking at them. And I don't believe that that's not what I'm actually advocating for today. I'm just advocating for put yourself out there. You know, you're the one who will form the memories around not anyone else and and, and embrace failure as learning. I mean, I I really think that is that's where we need to get to that. If I don't do well in something, there was learning in that. Absolutely. Oh, I've so enjoyed chatting to you both about this. Dr. Grace Lorden and Grace Beverly, thank you so much for coming on Going for Goal. You've been listening to behavioural scientist Dr. Grace Lorden and entrepreneur Grace Beverly on the weekly Women's Health podcast Going for Goal. Now, I hope you're planning to take some of their brilliant advice on board. And if you're only going to take one thing away, please let it be Grace Beverly's message that being excellent at work and being excellent at taking care of yourself are really not mutually exclusive. Remember, if you've got a different goal in mind and want to know how to achieve it, let us know and we could be helping you get there in an upcoming episode. As ever, if you want to comment on anything that we've raised in this episode, get in touch. All the details of how to do so are in the show notes. That's all from Going for Gold this week. We'll be back next Tuesday. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.